Welcome to Shaping the Future. In this episode, I'm speaking to Rabbi Yonatan Narel in Jerusalem about his newly co-authored Eco-Bible, a book that reaches back through more than 2,000 years of religious texts. At a time when religion in the US is being politicized and views are expressed about God's will in consuming the earth, Eco-Bible uses 450 identified texts that clearly demonstrate the role religious teachings have had in promoting stewardship of the earth. It has been my experience on numerous occasions of climate reporting that these underlying teachings exist across the multiple schools of faith that exist on the planet, from Christianity to Judaism, Islam, and many, many more. With six billion humans today identifying with some form of religion, what Yonatan has to say about our existence as spiritual beings in a physical world carries a lot of weight. Thanks for listening to the Shaping the Future series. There are more podcasts being edited as we speak, as we delve deeper into learning to live with and respond to the climate crisis. Please subscribe on any preferred channel to stay up to date. Jonathan, it's very good to see you again. Thank you for taking the time to speak to me today. I would like to start just by asking you about your ecological work in Jerusalem. Great. I'm happy to share with you about that. So 10 years ago, I founded the Interfaith Center for Sustainable Development based in Jerusalem. We're revealing the connection between religion and ecology and mobilizing people to act. One of the big projects we've been working on this year during the pandemic has been publishing an ecological commentary on the Pentateuch or the Old Testament. We just this week published a volume one of Eco Bible, an ecological commentary on Genesis and Exodus, and we're now distributing it to about 500 clergy and religious leaders in different places in the world. Okay, and this is under the title of Eco Bible. That's correct. And can you talk a bit about what you set out to accomplish when you started on this project? Well, a lot of people of faith, especially Christians and Jews, consider religion to be one thing and ecology to be another thing. And the purpose of Eco Bible is to reveal that ecology and the Bible are actually connected. And we've done that by writing a commentary on about 450 verses in the five books of Moses, the Pentateuch. So in this first volume on Genesis and Exodus, we have ecological commentary on about 200 verses. And this shows that uh, ecological awareness is organic to the Bible and to its commentaries. And this book is based on a 3,500 year old Jewish tradition, which relies on rabbis writing in the past 2000 years. Wow. Can you give an example of that connection between ecology and say the human spirit, if you like, how does that come across in the text? Sure. So for example, in Genesis chapter two, verse 25, The verse says, and God placed the human being in the garden to serve it and to conserve it. This is a mandate for people to act as stewards of creation and to live in balance with creation. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs translates the Hebrew le'ovdah u'leshomra as to serve and to conserve. That we are placed here on God's creation, on the one hand at the pinnacle of creation, since we're created last, and on the other hand, we're created after animals on the same day that animals are created. And so we're supposed to both have an awareness of the greatness of human potential, as well as a humility about our place in God's creation. At the end of the day, this is God's world, and we're here as temporary dwellers and not here to conquer and destroy God's 
God's creation. Okay, and when you fast forward to the present and you look around the world right now, how has that borne out? I mean, I, I suppose the answer is kind of obvious. The widespread degradation of God's creation is is really appalling. One thing that comes to mind, there's an organization that brought a group of pastors and priests on a helicopter tour of the open mountain mining of coal in Kentucky. And this group of pastors saw the effect that we're having on God's creation. There are some people of faith who say that only God can impact the world, that it's it's heretical to think that humanity can do anything to God's creation. And yet environmental scientists have now been saying for 50 years that people can and are impacting creation. And therefore there's a moral responsibility, a religious responsibility to do something about that and to change our lifestyles so that we live in balance with God's creation. You're taking texts that are ancient in their origins. Can you give an example of the freshness that they retain when you're sort of putting them in the context of the ecological mess we find ourselves in today and it's largely of our own doing as well which is the, the sad thing about it yes the the texts actually when read from the perspective of our current day predicament they read with incredible freshness for example the story of noah and the flood noah was tasked to save humanity and, and all species on the ark from a flood that god brought to destroy creation which God had created not so many verses before in the book of Genesis. The rabbis understand that God asked Noah to build an ark 120 years before the flood. And the reason for this was that Noah was supposed to warn the people to change their ways and to repent. And so he planted a forest and they asked him what he's doing. And he just told them and they laughed at him. And then he cut down the trees and made the ark. And they asked him what he's doing. He told them and they laughed at him. Finally, he went to go on the ark as the rain started to come, and the people said to him, you're not going to go onto the ark. And according to the Jewish oral tradition in the Midrash, the lions and the bears protected Noah and enabled him to go onto the ark. So in our times, you know, this year, there have been 26 named hurricanes in the Atlantic and Caribbean. Six of them have hit Louisiana. The senator from Louisiana, one of the senators, asked the Supreme Court nominee about her views on climate change, and she revealed herself to essentially be a climate skeptic. And so it's amazing that the flooding that is hitting places like Houston and New Orleans and cities in Alabama, Mississippi, Florida, not to mention the typhoons and cyclones in the Pacific Ocean and the Indian Ocean, these mass flooding events of cities can remind us of the flooding that Noah's generation encountered. And in both cases, it's because human behavior is spurring a response in the world. There's a teaching that one of the names of God, uh, Elohim, in Hebrew is equivalent to the word in Hebrew for nature, Hateva. And this teaching is based on a Kabbalistic, uh, mystical understanding, is that God has placed within nature the mechanisms to respond to human wickedness and to human wrongdoing. And so that's partly what we're seeing through climate change. It's an environmental crisis, but it's also a spiritual crisis. And a moment ago, you referenced a religious interpretation that only God can impact the earth in substantial ways. And the nominee you mentioned for the Supreme Court, her faith has been brought up into her nomination. If you take something like the Eco Bible, which is, is 
setting out to draw a link between ecology and, and humanity. How much do you think of the argument you have to win within faith? Do you see that someone like the Supreme nominee, who's a climate change skeptic or denier, how much does that argument have to be won within the faith community? I think that humanity will only achieve environmental sustainability with the active involvement of faith communities. In fact, I think that the lack of significant involvement by faith communities over the past 50 or 100 years of the growing ecological crisis has to do with the, the silence of many clergy on this issue. Uh, there was a study by the Pew Research Institute in the United States, which indicated that most clergy in America never speak about climate change. However, when clergy do speak about climate change, their congregants tend to be more motivated to take personal action and, and congregational action. There's definitely a lot of work that has to be done within faith communities in regards to awareness, faith-based awareness of our environmental responsibility. And this work, which is currently a fraction of what it needs to be in order to really bring religion to bear to address the environmental crisis, this work needs to, to expand significantly soon in order for us to have a fighting chance of curbing climate change. And so I, I think, as I said before, the environmental crisis is not a crisis of the birds and the bees or the trees and the toads. It's a crisis of the human being and how we live as spiritual beings in a physical reality. And therefore, a lot of the work we need to do is not about switching to hybrids and switching light bulbs. It's about changing the awareness within clergy and within the over 6 billion people in the world who identify with a religion and how they act and how they see their religion motivating them to take ecological action. That's an amazing number, isn't it? 6 billion of us on the planet identified with a religion. And I think when I met you personally, it was in Istanbul at the Islamic Declaration on Climate Change. And what was notable there was that there was representatives from the Catholic Church, from the Jewish community, from different perspectives. Can you comment on the alignment of different faiths on this issue? Because in, in a global, especially in a political context, we tend to think of the faiths as always being at odds with each other. But how is it with the ecological side? It's interesting because there are some faiths, you know, and I'm going to generalize, which I prefer not to do. But for example, Jainism has a tremendous uh, ecological awareness and even promotes veganism among its members. Indigenous religions, like in the Amazon and among native peoples around the world, tend to be much more earth-based and appreciating nature and the creator spirit. But those indigenous religions are tiny in terms of the number of, of followers. And so the biggest religion in the world is Christianity. And as you know, there are many Christian denominations. There's about 1.2 billion Catholics. And the Pope, who has been very outspoken on this issue and promoting uh, Laudato Si on care for our common home, the challenge is for that to reach down to the parish level and to the 1.2 billion Catholics. Uh, the Anglican Church is also significant, and I'm pleased to share that they've asked for me to send copies of Eco Bible to the Archbishop of Canterbury, as well as to 40 Anglican bishops in England, as well as uh, 15 archbishops and bishops in Africa. I'm grateful for the help of the Bishop of Salisbury and Reverend Dr. Rachel Match, 
who's the Green Anglicans director based in Cape Town. So within every religion, there are people involved in revealing ecological faith-based teachings. But in our current time, that remains a, a small minority within religion, and it's yet to reach the tipping point where most religious practitioners can actually answer the question, what does your religion say about ecological awareness? And of course, when you reach that tipping point, the sheer, the numbers becomes a very powerful force in the world in terms of the kind of spiritual change that we're discussing. That's correct. And I'm in conversation with an NGO called Plastic Bank, which has been working in a hundred Catholic congregations in Brazil and the Philippines to promote a solution to ocean plastic and to put a social price on what they call social plastic. And these efforts can scale. It's just a question of will. And when these efforts do scale and reach you know, millions of congregations in the world, that will then have a tremendous effect, a tipping point and a change that, that can happen when religion gets more fully on board this issue. And just to sort of finish with, really, do you have a, a personal message that you could relate to people who are going to read Eco Bible or to listeners of this podcast about this linking of spiritual development and ecology? What would be your point to confer on people? Well, I would say that a lot of young people in the world today care more about our ecological future, which is really our, our survival on this planet and that of 8 million species. And they care more about that than they do about the religious teachings and theology that they've heard in their house of worship growing up. So there's also an aspect of this that for religion itself to remain relevant and to speak to the hearts and minds of the younger generation, it needs to adapt and reach within itself for these core teachings on ecological sustainability. And that's really the what we've tried to do with Eco Bible. Up until now, if you wanted an ecological commentary on Genesis and Exodus, you have to look in many different books and many different commentators. And so we've tried to lay it out in a much more organized form so that someone who wants to read the Bible from a faith-based ecological perspective can do so just by opening this book. Brilliant. Thank you very much for taking the time. It's been really interesting to speak to you and I hope the book is a major success. You're welcome. Thank you so much, Nick.